your Bibles, can you please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 7. And we are a little over halfway through the book. This is a book in the Bible in the Old Testament about God's people. The God's people had been very bad. They had a kingdom of their own, but because they disobeyed God and lived their own lives, they were destroyed, they were conquered, they were mostly obliterated by the Babylonians. In 605 and 587, they finished the job, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the southern kingdom, killed most of his people, and took the rest as slaves. And then... Now, the Babylonians also received their punishment from the Persians. And now, the southern kingdom of Israel is now owned by uh, the Persian Empire. And Nehemiah was a man who served the king. And he heard a report about the city of Jerusalem, his homeland. He's a Hebrew. And he heard that the, his homeland is in complete disrepair. The walls were broken down. The walls represented safety and security in Israel. And they were, they were destroyed. They were never rebuilt after they were destroyed by the Babylonians. And he had a dream. God told him in chapter 1. He mourned about this loss. And he had a dream to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he mourned and fasted and prayed. And in chapter 2, Artaxerxes, the Persian king, said, Go. Go, tell me what you need. He had a plan. He's prepared. And he went. And in chapter 3, we saw him with the, the Hebrews that were remaining in Jerusalem. He used them. He worked with them. He led them to rebuild the wall. In chapter 4, we talked about Opposition. He's not the only person who, um, who's there. The surrounding nations are opposed to him. Namely, three people, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. From, these are Samaritans, uh, Ammonites, and Arabs. Surrounding nations, ready, they, hate, they hate the rebuilding. They hate that God's doing the work there. And he had to oppose them. And then in chapter 5, he, there was internal struggles about money. People were enslaving other people. Jews enslaving other Jews. They had to mortgage their, their stuff. They were basically slaves to one another. And he corrected that and told them that as believers, we should not charge interest. We should not uh, extort our fellow people. And then last week, there was more opposition. It was, as the work was getting finished, there was increasing opposition from Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. And God gives us victory, but there's things to overcome. And that brings us to where we are in chapter 7. So, are we ready? There's a lot of names in this one, too. Okay? The trick is to sound confident, so I'll try to do that. <laughs> Verse 1, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the seniors, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, 
But let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispareth, Bigvei, Nehem, Bana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172, the sons of Shephatiah, 372, the sons of Era, 652, the sons of Parath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. <coughs> The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zechai, 760. The sons of Benui, 648. The sons of Bebai, 628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adonikim, 667. The sons of Bigvi, 2,067. The sons of Adon, 655. The sons of Adder, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Hashem, 328. The sons of Bezai, 324. The sons of Herapha, 112. The sons of Gideon, 95. The men of Bethlehem and Netophah, 188. The men of Anathoth, 128. The men of Beth Azmeth, Beth 42. The men of Kiriath, Jerem, Shepharah and Birah, 743. The men of Ramah and Geba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 123. The men of the other Nebo, 52. The sons of the other Elam, 1,254. The sons of Haram, 320. The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721. The sons of Sinan, 3,930. The priests, the son of Jedei, namely of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Immer, 1052. The sons of Pasher, 1247. The sons of Haram, 1017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely of Cadmiel, and the sons of Hodava, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Adder, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akkad, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, 138. The temple servants. The sons of Ziha, the sons of Heshupa, the sons of Tabalath, the sons of Kiros, the sons of Sia, the sons of Padon, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Shelmai, the sons of Hanon, the sons of Giddel, the sons of Gehar, the, the sons of Rea, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nekoda, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uza, the sons of Pesah, the sons of Besai, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nefushism, the sons of uh, Bakbuk, the sons of Hakubad, the sons of Hahar, 
the sons of Bezla, the sons of Meha, the sons of Hersha, the sons of Barthos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tima, the sons of Neziah, the sons of Hatiphah. The sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophoreth, the sons of Perida, the sons of Jala, the sons of Darkin, the sons of Giddel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hattel, the sons of Pokoreth <coughs> Hazabim, the sons of Amon. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Telmala, Telharsha, Cherub, Adon, and Immer, but they could not prove their father's houses nor their descents whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nicodah, 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hekaz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife from the daughters of Barzillai, the, the Gileadites, and was called by their name. They sought registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor also told them not to... I'm getting a little feedback here. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with the Urim and Dumum should arise. The whole assembly together was 42,360 beside their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. <clears throat> now some of the heads of the father's house gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's house gave to the treasury of the work 2,000 derricks of gold, 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 667 priests' garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seven months had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. We made it through the first part. <laughs> I go line by line, verse by verse, but there's a lot of names. So we're going to do principles, okay? So I've got eight principles for life and leadership that Nehemiah exhibits in this chapter. So principle number one is that people need to feel safe and secure before getting involved. So he built the wall. The wall is built. The doors are set. The gate is set up. God's people need safety and security in order to worship. Right? It says the temple and the wall was built, but there were few people. The city was defenseless until the wall was built. So people were not coming back. Right? It was a, it was, it was a small, tiny remnant of people who were living in the town in Jerusalem until the wall was built. So, what does that mean for us? Leaders in the home or the family or in the business, you need to feel safe. Right? Kids need it. Adults need it. You know, my, kid, my kids moved. 
we all moved last week, and it's very an unsettling experience for everybody because they don't feel as safe as they did before. Of course, we're in a safe home, but it's unknown to them, and until they feel that this is normal, there's going to be these unsettled feelings, right? And we're all processing in a different way. My kids process them through yelling and screaming and throwing tantrums. And I process them by yelling and screaming for <laughs> somewhere away from other people by myself. But because we're not, we're not fully set up or we're not fully safe and secure, those feelings will continue. And it takes that. In business, right, if you, if you are a business leader or in an organization, you will feel, you will not commit to the work unless you feel safe at that place, right? If you feel like at any moment you're gone, you are not going to be mentally and physically prepared to commit your life to that work. Am I right? At places where you don't feel safe, you're not going to be wholly committed. You're not going to be wholly involved in it. The church, right? We're meeting at a hotel. What I love about this hotel, the Symphony, is it is safe and it's secure. They put our advertisements up Nicely, I met with the, the director of sales and marketing. She was very accommodating, very helpful. And even though this place is more expensive than maybe some basement in a villa, that didn't, we, our first year we met at a, um, after COVID, we met at a villa. And while it was a blessing, and who knows, the future is unknown. I can't say we are going to stay here forever. But what people didn't like about it is you feel like you were walking into somebody's house, which made you feel unsafe and insecure. Right, and this is true when you're when you're inviting people to church, or with your family, or with your business. You need to hold people by the hand. If you're inviting people to church, you should take them with you the first time, because otherwise people will feel scared. Right? Even a hotel, if you're not sure, if you're not 100 um, percent, like know what the church is. Now, many people come just from hearing about it on Facebook, which is amazing. But it would, how much better would people feel if you? took them with you the first time, right? This is same for small groups, right? If you're, like my small group, people came together last week, and if you want me to give you a ride for the first time so you feel like, okay, they're not barking like dogs, it's going to be a normal experience, no one's going to be called out the first meeting and share their deepest, darkest secrets, I can do that, okay? I'll take you. You can see that it's safe. But people want to feel safe and secure. That's how we get the message out. So we bring people to church and to small groups. So the principle one is to feel safe and secure before getting involved. Principle number two is to make basic operations functional. Right? Nehemiah, before people started coming... He got the basic people involved. He got the gatekeepers, make sure everything was secure. He got the singers, right? And he got the Levites. The Levites were the people, the sons of Aaron, who this one twelfth of the tribe of the twelve tribes were designed. God uh, designed them to work in the temple to do the work, right? Because the temple required a lot of um, processes, right? When you're sacrificing animals, different kinds of animals for different kinds of sins, different kinds of instruments to be used. 
You need, you need a dedicated team. So he got those people set up, right? Um, this is true for us. There's critical functions in the family, right? If you don't know what your, your role is in the family, whether that's the father or the mother, what your jobs are, and even the kids, as, as my kids get older, they're starting to have roles and responsibilities. Like you need to come home and do your homework before you can do anything fun. That's the rule, okay? And they, they're starting, there's learning, and we're still learning, Stephanie and I are learning, okay, what are our roles and responsibilities? Why are we going to divide the labor, right? With work and with kids and with our building, all those things need to be worked out. Same with, with your business. If you're a business owner, a business leader, or you're in an organization, you, there's critical functions that you need to have. Right? If you're running a school, you need teachers, teachers right? You need admin. There's different things that you need to make the business run. I am a part owner of a restaurant in um, my hometown in Pennsylvania. I'm an investor in it, and it's a restaurant and brewery, so they need a couple critical functions to, to get people through the doors. They need cooks, they need brewers, they need live bands, that's what people want. So if you don't have those things, the restaurant would not function. Same with the church, right? You, it's not just me preaching and, and, a, and a couple musicians. There's a lot of things that make it functional, right? We need our own worship team, like the singers. We need the welcome team. We need setup and teardown. We need sound, so it sounds good, right? We need slides, like Malachi's been doing with everything. We need... Um, sorry, I lost my place for a second here. We need counting even. We, we have people who count the money. So the, all these things make the church functional. Right? We have worship teams. Right? People worship from Old Testament times, like the singers. They were singing. That's why the Psalms were written. The Psalms were a songbook of the people of God. So this is a tradition that's been carried around for thousands of years that we sing as believers to God, because that's what we've done since the beginning. God wants us to sing to him in song. And the Levites, right? The sacrificial system, people serving in the temple, this I would equate to say to like our, our leaders, people praying for each other, life group leaders, people noticing, these people in the welcome team or people who are have an eye for new people, okay, making sure they feel, they feel comfortable, they feel loved, they feel uh, validated. Right, we need all those things. Reaching out to people for prayer and support. We, there's tons of stuff that we need to make this basically functional. Right, if you just walk through the hotel and there was nothing going on and we started tuning up at 10.15, that would not be good. Right, People would feel unsafe. They would not feel secure. So you need basic functionality. And this is why I'm asking... For volunteers for things because we need a we need a, there's a lot that makes the church function lots of areas to set up there's lots of teams we have now and then and many of you are serving if i made you stand up which i won't do because i don't want to embarrass anybody 
But I bet more than half of the church would be standing up, serving in some capacity. More than half the church would be standing up. So thank you for all those who serve to make this an experience that's positive and helpful for people. So you don't feel afraid. But we need it. I could use, I would love to have everybody serve. There's so many reasons, right? Because you're more committed to the church when you're serving. You, you, you see this as an investment, right? And then the other people who are serving, they don't have to do it every single week, right? So, like I've said many times, many hands make light labor, Proverbs says. So, if everyone's doing something, no one's doing everything. Right? If everyone's doing something, no one's doing everything. That's the goal. I don't want anybody doing everything. And there are seasons in our church where people did everything. But you know what happens if they did it too long? They burn out. They stop. They quit. It's like, I can't do this every week. But if we're all involved in some small way, those critical functions will be easier for everybody. And I'm not saying everything has to be super spiritual or super technical, but there's many things that anyone can do. We can train you on anything. So be praying about that. This is what Nehemiah did. He got the people involved before people started coming through the doors. Right? Before people were coming through the doors, he got the basic functionality ready. Right? It was like a church plan. He's like, okay, we need the singers, we need the Levites, we need the gatekeepers. Because people are going to start coming because the wall is built now. Who's going to start coming to our church? That's principle two. Principle three, character is imperative in leadership. Right? You see that Nehemiah, he's the main leader, right? He's doing this, but he can't do it by himself. Right? So he appoints his brother. That's the first one. If you go back to chapter one, Hanani, he was the one who reported the broken down walls in Jerusalem. And then Hananiah, he was like the commander of, the, I think, the troops in Jerusalem. He said, hey, I'm going to make you guys leaders over different parts of Jerusalem because I can't do this by myself. And what was the thing that was the Nehemiah said about them? Not that they were incredibly competent, but that they were faithful and God-fearing. They were faithful and God-fearing. So as we go up the leadership change, leadership chain, character ends up outperforming competency. Right? Competency is good. Competency is competency is important. You need to know what you're doing. If Malachi didn't know how to run slides, it'd be a rough be a rough go of it. But character is the most important because you can be trained in anything, like I said. But how is your heart? How is your integrity? In my family, I'm kind of like the, the leader of the family. Because God has given me a sense of character. I'm not the most competent. Ask my wife. When it comes to like even simple tasks of like putting up curtains, I struggle. I'm super, I'm, a, I'm an incredible supporter of Stephanie doing that. I'll take the kids, I'll do whatever. I'm not very handy. But I'll I'll lift heavy things for you, but where to screw in the, in, in, into the wall? I'm not quite sure, okay? But by God's grace, I have some character. She trusts me and she loves me. 
In, it, this, is, this is true for those many people who are not married yet. Okay? Character is the most important thing in when, you find, when you're looking for a spouse. They may be beautiful. They may be talented. They may value you. But that will get you to the altar, but that will not keep you for 50 years. Character is the thing that will make a marriage last. Right? Because we're not looking for the first day of the wedding. I want to make it to the last day of my marriage. Right? And the most important thing is character. Those of you who are not married, you may think that person's hot, but hell is hot too. Okay? That will, those things will fade. Those things will fade, but you know what doesn't fade? Character. Character lasts. Character will, will outlast all the things that initially may have attracted you to your partner. So, don't marry somebody without character. I have seen marriages that are full of misery. I have seen them. Unfortunately, in coitus, it's more often than not that people are not marrying people of the same faith. And that is dangerous, and that is foolish. So there's just a little shout-out to my unmarried friends here. If you're already committed, just stay committed. Okay? Just keep, keep it going as best you can. In business, right? You want somebody that you can trust. Somebody with integrity. Skills are, are valuable. Skills are important. Your resume needs to look good. But all those things can be acquired over time, but if you have somebody that you can trust, that is more valuable than gold, right? More valuable than gold, because that person, I have someone who works on my house, and the first time I didn't know who he was, so I didn't trust him completely, but as I saw he did great work, he charged me reasonable rates, I had complete trust in him, because his character was good. He did a job, and he did it for the right price. So, and you want, Kuwait wants to hire people with character, right? Yes, you obviously need to know what you're doing somewhat. That's all on the job. Nothing in my university trained me for how to be a teacher, even though I took all these courses in education. I learned as I did it, but because I had some level of character, I wasn't stealing, I wasn't cheating, I was kept around for a long time. So character is important. It outperforms everything. Same with the church. I am the I'm the pastor. I'm the full-time guy. Am I the best preacher? Am I the best uh, personality-wise? Probably not. Unlikely. But people know me, and I have character. The leaders know me. You all know me. So it's like, okay, Chris, he, he's not perfect, but he's got character. He's got integrity. He's not going to steal from the church. We'll, we'll keep them around, right? Same with the other leaders. These people that I have in my leadership team, they served when there was five or six people here. They have character. They have what it takes to go the distance. Even though we're not all perfect at everything we do, and we're all learning together and growing together, character is what makes it work. And we need more leaders. But no one's going to make a hasty decision. So I've done that before, and you know what happens? 
it's a disaster. It's like, you're super competent, get on my team. And then all of a sudden, things happen, and things go bad, and people are hearing bad things about that person, and then all of a sudden, we have, we have a major mess. Because we think, I thought, that competency is the most important thing, but no. Nehemiah saying is character. His brother and Hananiah, the commander, they had character. Principle number four. Policies and procedures should help. Right? It's newly built. Right? The place is vulnerable to attack. So what does he say? He says, those gates need to be mostly closed. You don't open those gates until the sun is hot. Right? So it's like mid-morning. Right? And you close those gates while people are still standing guard. You don't let it go all day to keep the gates open because that's not wise. Because we're a newly built city, we're very vulnerable. People are going to start flooding through. We don't know who these people are, some of them. So he creates this policy and procedure. Here's how we're going to run this. Okay? Told, told the guards. The gates seem to be mostly closed. Open them some midday, but close them early, open them late. He appointed guards from the original group, right? Before people started to return. Those are policies and procedures that Nehemiah had. He's like, this is how we're going to do this. And they were helpful. This is like my family. You know, I'm trying to develop policies and procedures with my children. At least the first time, like I said before, is he's doing actual homework after school. And the, the policy and procedure we have, which we are, through many tiers, are developing, is that you do your work before you play. And there's been many tantrums, but the policy and procedure is going to proceed until we all understand, especially him, that this is how it's going to work. This is how life works, right? You do your work before you play, right? Unless you get up at 3 in the morning and watching TV. I don't think a lot of us are doing that and then going to work. Same with Silas. Silas is going to school now. His, he doesn't have homework, but it's like you need to change your clothes, out of your school clothes, before you can have your snack. Okay, and there's many tears and tantrums about that too, but so you don't want to get chocolate all over your new uniform and buy a uniform every week. So there's policies and procedures in the family. Business, all organizations have this. You know this, right? There's policies and procedures. You need to make sure, though, if you are in a, a position of leadership, that your policies and procedures are empowering and clear rather than creating misery and confusion, right? I've been in many organizations over the years. Some policies are helpful. Some policies are, are I hate them because like, these don't help anybody. And this is one of the things I love Kuwait. God's blessed me here. One of the things about Kuwait that can be frustrating is that there's no clear policies and procedures for everybody, right? If you know somebody, that doesn't matter. That's what makes it frustrating for any people because there's not clear policies and procedures for everyone, right? There's for some people, depending on your ethnicity and your background, and there's other policies and procedures depending on a different nationality and background, which is why it can be uh, challenging to live here at times, okay, as you know. Policies and procedures are good. Our church, I've said this before, it's a spiritual organization. We're worshiping God in spirit and truth. But there is an organizational side 
of it. Like any organization, we need to have schedules. I paid schedules this week. I double booked some people. I didn't think that all the way through. I wasn't checking all the charts of people, and some people were double booked. Right? So having policies and procedures, okay, we need to, the leadership team is working on this now. How do we have clear policies and procedures that people are not doing too many things on one Friday? And I mentioned before about we're developing a vision, a mission, and um, plans for our church because policies and procedures are important. They are valuable. Principle number five. Even though we need policies and procedures, principle five, God and people are the most important. Right? This is verse five I'm looking at. Nehemiah's dream shifted with the need. Nehemiah's God gave him a dream to build the wall. But it's not about the wall. It's about what? It's about the people. Right? It's about the people. And he said, right, the wall enables people to worship. And we're going to see in the next couple of verses that we got 50,000 people who are going to be coming from Babylon. Right? The wall was, the, was Nehemiah's goal, but it was to facilitate people worshiping God. There's a facility people worshiping God because people and God are the most important things. And Nehemiah knew this. And then God put something else on his heart to say, hey, we need to have people here. You're going to enroll them. You're going to put them with their families, their genealogy, their clan, their tribe. You're going to put them together when they start coming. That's what God put on his heart. That's how he found the book of genealogy from Ezra. So he is not doing something for God. God put it on his heart. So many of us, and I'm included, I'm preaching to myself, so many of us want to do something for God, if you're a believer. Oh, I need this to happen before God. But no, God is the one who initiates. God will put it on your heart what he's called you to do. Some of us want to do everything for God in the kingdom. Some of us want to do nothing for God in the kingdom. But you need to let God lead you. Let him lead you. He will, he will put on your heart what you need to do. He'll give you a vision for what God wants you to do. But let him lead. You gotta think, what does God put on your heart? God has a plan and a purpose for all of us. Right? I know that the future I have for you plans for hope and for a future. His word says. So God has a plan and a purpose for all of us here. Not just me, not just my leaders. Every single one of us. But you need to listen to God. So, in our family, we try to prioritize God. Because God's most important. We try to pray at least at meals. I pray for my kids at bedtime. We'll read books of the Bible. There's an ABC about the story of redemption that we read. Silas loves it. And it's, it's getting him familiar with God. This is the most important part of our family is God. Same with business. Now, you can't explicitly be, maybe you're not a Christian organization, but you can have God's principles and rules in your life. Those things are more important than the bottom line. Right? If you're a business person, you know this. God's rules are the best way because God created his world that way. And it's also about people. I want my family to have people in our house often, even though it's a challenge at times. 
So they see people are important too. God made people. I want to see, and in this church, I want to see more people connected to life groups. Right? Many of you are connected to Jomal, some of you are connected to mine. But I, want to, I would love to see my dream would be to see every person in this room going to a life group. Because a life group, you can be more intimate, more close, more connected than you can on a Friday morning. Friday morning is great, Friday morning is important. We worship, the word is, is preached. But there are other things that you can do in a small group that you can't do in a larger group. So pray about that. Because people are important. When people are getting together and praying for one another in a more relaxed setting, God does great things. I've seen God do great things through small groups. I've seen people's lives transform. I've seen people in tears. healing happening in life groups, spiritual healing. That's where God and people are. So I want you to pray and think about that. God and people are the most important. Principle number six. God blesses, you all like this, you all, all like this, God blesses pioneers in his kingdom. God blesses pioneers in his kingdom. There was, well, almost 50,000 people came from Babylon it's, it was only a small fraction of the people who were in Babylon that came back. Right? There were millions of people of the Jews living, exiled in Babylon. And only, I've, seen, I've heard, as, I've seen commentaries say as, as little as 2% of the people returned. And God blesses that because why? Every single person, as I read through, as I fumbled through, who came back to Jerusalem after the wall was built, were mentioned. They were mentioned by name. God values those who, who are pioneers for his kingdom. God values those who take risks. It's risky. They had, people had their whole lives, their jobs in Babylon. Right? They were getting along with the people. They figured out a way to make it work. And now we have to go back. We have to uproot our entire lives. Go from Babylon back to Jerusalem where I don't even know if there's a house for me yet. I'll have to build my own house. That's a risk, right? Those people are taking big risks. And we've all taken risks. We're all here, aren't we? Right? We're all in Kuwait. We're all going to church in Kuwait. And you are blessed. God is looking at you and blessing you. If you are coming to Kuwait, which we are here, you're going to church, you're getting involved, you're loving Jesus, you're sharing the gospel. God values that in a big way. It's a blessing. Let me tell you, you are blessed if you are doing that. If you are working in his kingdom in this land because you took that risk to come here and to be a Christian to be someone who loves Jesus in a place where not many people love Jesus it is even with expats it's still 80 plus percent Muslim you are blessed I want you to know that church God knows you by name as all these people in this book were mentioned by name. God loves you, and he wants to do, fulfill his purpose in your life, ladies and gentlemen.
He cares about you. And I want you to continue. I want to encourage you to influencing people for the gospel. In your work, at your home, wherever your influence is, be a light for Jesus' kingdom. Because you may be the only Jesus people ever see in this land. And how you live your life, it matters. And God will bless it. God has blessed it. In my life, in many, we tell stories all day about God blessing people, just sharing love, sharing some good news. I've been with coworkers and had a really rough day. I said, hey, here's what keeps me going. It's Jesus. And I planted that seed, and I think God is using that. God is using that. He will use that. So God knows you. He blesses you because we all know this, this can be a hard country to live in sometimes. It can be challenging. It can be difficult. But God sees you and he knows you by name and he says, keep going. I've got your back. Every risk you take for his kingdom here, even the smallest risk, Right, Jesus says, you need to give a cup of cold water in my name, he will not lose his reward, right? Just showing some kindness to people. Every risk God sees and rewards. Principle seven, unknown people need to prove themselves. As you saw through the list, there were some of the returnees that could not prove their ancestry. Right? And they were, they were allowed to come in, but there were restrictions on them. It's like, we don't know. In this culture, not from this culture, if you can't prove your generational, your fathers, and, and prove all that for multiple generations, then there, people have lots of questions about that. They could come, they were not part of the regular community. And you may need to prove yourself in your faith. Especially in Kuwait, you've heard this phrase, you got to earn the right to be heard, right? You've got to earn the right to be heard. I've done this many times. Right? I don't have a, like a resume I go to every church I go to make, here's, why, here's what's so amazing about me. No, you've got to prove it, right? Show, show me what you, what have, you know, there's a song, What Have You Done For Me Lately, right? What are you doing now for God's kingdom? Yes, maybe 20 years ago you did, you did something amazing for him. But you might need to prove yourself again and again. That's, that's go with the territory. Right? This can be at your work. You maybe had a great job last, last time. You were, you were the star employee. When you go to a new job, you've got to start over. You've got to prove yourself again. With church, show that you're faithful. You know, many of the people who are leaders now, they were just doing the serving serving faithfully in this community. I didn't ask for anybody's resume what they did before. You're here and you're working and you're serving and you're loving Jesus. Yeah. Come on board. Because they proved it to me. you got to prove yourself with your kids, right? Well, what makes you, them love you at, at three is even what, at seven, Right? You've got to prove yourself again that you are a good mom and a good dad and you love them and you love them in different ways at different stages of their life. 
So unknown people, you need to prove yourself. Principle eight, be generous in God's work. Nehemiah personally gave 20 pounds of gold. That's the governor, right? He's talking about himself in a humble way. And other things from his own pocket, heads of the family, of this extended family of the people of Israel, gave about 400 pounds of gold, and everyone else gave another 400 pounds of gold. This is for the building of the wall, repopulating the city, paying the Levites and the singers and the guards, right? rebuilding the homes. So I calculated just the gold and silver, not mentioning other things. In today's dollars, about $22 million was given to rebuild the city, to repopulate the city. $22 million with the gold and silver. The people saw what God was doing, and they were generous. And my question for us is, and I, I belabored this point two weeks ago, so I'm not going to hit it real hard, but where do you see God working, and how can you be generous? Where do you see God working, and how can you be generous toward that? Of course, with your family first, right? You be generous with your family. You be generous with your spouse. Generous with your kids. And I'm not saying spoil them. But generous with your love, with your time. Be generous with your business. Give it 110%. Bring those donuts in for everybody. Jesus said if you use unrighteous mammon, it helps your, your, your way in the kingdom, right? You use unrighteous money, but you use it to influence people in this world, it is valuable for the kingdom. You'll get 10x fold. Same with the church. If you're generous to the church, God's going to bless you 10x, 100x. Now, I'm not saying it's dollar for dollar, but you can be blessed in ways that are far more meaningful than money. And as a result of all these eight principles, Ben, if you can come up, we're going to conclude. The walls were rebuilt, and 50,000 people worshiped God from the nation of Babylon. That is amazing. God's work through Nehemiah and these principles that he employed allowed 50,000 people. Could you imagine if 50,000 people showed up at our church? We would be, it'd be out of control, right? We'd have to rent the whole hotel. And these processes and principles allowed Nehemiah to handle that well. So in conclusion, just to review the principles, people need to feel safe and secure. You need to make basic functions operational. Character is imperative in leadership. Policies and procedures need to help people. God and people are the most important. God blesses pioneers in his kingdom. Unknown people need to reprove themselves and be generous where God is working. Let's stand up on our feet. Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity for us to hear from your word. God, yes, there's a ton of names and it seems like it makes no sense, but we saw from, from this chapter you are faithful. You give us principles how to live. And I want to submit to those of us who are not sure if they know Jesus, these principles will make no sense. Yes, God's rules work for his world. But if you don't know Jesus, you will not be able to change. And I pray for anyone who's not sure about Jesus, that God, Jesus, you would speak to them. 
that they need to believe that you lived a perfect life, that you died in my place and their place on the cross for their sins. The things that they've done against God cannot be wiped away, cannot be balanced out on the scales of good and bad. But only through forgiveness, through the blood of Jesus, can they be made new. And I pray for anyone who's praying that prayer, that you give them the courage to commit their life to you, Jesus, that they would see you as their Savior, saving them from their sinful life before, and the Lord of their lives, someone who is committed to Jesus first. And I pray for the rest of us. These principles are not just things that we do do to work hard, but they are things that you want to empower us to do through the power of the gospel that you have changed us, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you, even, thank you for going through books of the Bible where we're able to see things that we might not normally see in a list of names. We see your principles at work in our lives. Bless each one of these people who are the pioneers in this land of Kuwait, who are God's... You are the... These people are the... First, and maybe only Jesus, the people around them will see in a place where Jesus is not advertised. Empower them. Bless them. Show that you care about their names. You know who they are. You love them. And every risk they take for your kingdom is blessed by you. God, I ask you to bless the rest of this service as we go into this final song. That you continue to be with and continue to speak to us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And we'll do one final song on Gideon's benediction.
I'll give you the benediction. Please don't run out of here. We have plenty of tea, coffee, snacks. Say hi to someone. Enjoy your time here. It's a great time.